Hello, and welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. Today, before we start the show, I would like to bring up some business things that have kind of been on my mind so that you can know where to get more Where Am I To Go. First off, I'd like to talk about the Facebook page at Where Am I To Go podcast. It's on Facebook, and we've been posting some wonderful pictures of some of the places that we've been and some of the adventures that we've had. Not everything that we go and do is made into a podcast, and so we take pictures at different places and post those pictures so that you guys can enjoy some of the different places we've been. Also, I really am interested in listener feedback. I have an email address at where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the listeners' comments and some of their ideas of places that might be interesting to visit and go and do. Today we are in Clarksdale, Arizona, which is close to Jerome and close to Cottonwood and, and Sedona. Yeah, everybody knows where Sedona is. And we are at the Copper Museum. This museum I visited a few years back. I was blown away by copper, I guess you could say. So I called Drake and asked him if it would be okay if we came and did a podcast here. He said it definitely would. So we are here with Drake, and we are about ready to learn about copper and a lot of other cool stuff. So welcome, Drake. Hi, Lauren. Uh, start off with, uh, we are kind of in a super pretty part of Arizona. It's in the mountains. You guys have a lot of history here and some of that. Tell us about the area a little bit. Yeah, the Verde Valley is mainly central, north central Arizona. And uh, we're lucky we have a flowing river called the Verde River right down the road. And it flows all year. But the scenery around here is absolutely gorgeous with Sedona and uh, towns like Jerome, Arizona, where you can see for miles, 50 miles and, and whatnot. Well, coming off that pass from Prescott is just unbelievable. Yeah, and then you get into Jerome, we're driving a rather large rig and, and the roads are extremely narrow, but it's a beautiful area here. Yes, it is very beautiful. Most people think of Arizona as tumbleweeds and puddles and you know a lot of dust, but uh, this area is not. You can go up the mountain here and you'll be in the tall pines. Uh, you can come down and you'll be in the high desert. And your elevation here is what? We're at about 3,500 feet. Well, that's not so too bad. That's about a, you know, five-eighths of a mile or so. Yeah. So you guys get lots of snow in that here? Not so much, but about every 15 years, we'll get a snowstorm that will put six, eight inches out there in oh. front of Clarkdale. Well, that's not too bad then. Yeah, they were saying it. Prescott, uh, we went to the Bead Museum there, and that was a pretty cool museum, but he was saying you get three-foot snowstorms every once in a while yep. in Prescott. Uh, so. Yeah, Prescott's higher in elevation. Okay. So, very pretty area. Well, let's let's take a look through your museum, and let's learn a little bit about copper. I'm assuming that the Copper Museum is here because of yes, copper. Yes, absolutely, and that's why it's located in this tiny town called Clarkdale. Clarkdale was a massive producer of copper in history. 
We produce billions of pounds of copper and tens of millions of ounces of silver and gold directly out that window, which is the front of this old former school building. And it was about seven blocks north of here. Really? It used to be this massive copper smelter. Massive means about 2,000 people worked at it every day. And the equipment was just monstrous. The chimneys were 42 stories tall. Really? They're not there anymore. That, they tore the old smelter works down, completely recycled, sent the equipment off to other mining communities. You get it. And what's left are remnants of the smelting industry and the Verde Canyon Railroad, which is an excursion train today. Oh, okay. That was the original railroad and footprint of all this production that was going on here. Now, was it steam? The, 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 if you take a ride today, is it steam or is No, it, it's diesel. It's diesel, yeah. okay. Yeah, we were quite modern here in the early 1900s as the mining community was very wealthy. So therefore we had electricity and water, you get it, all right. the good stuff. Even well, telephone or telegraph early on. Okay, now was this an open pit or was it an underground mine? Okay, yeah, mine was actually in Jerome, which is about four miles from here. Most of the mining in Jerome was underground, and there's about 86 miles of tunnels underneath that town. Currently. Are you serious? But non-active today, that all ended in 1950. Really? Yeah, That's quite a while ago. Yep, metals played out here. The mining was over, and of course, everybody moved on to different jobs around the nation. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So the mine, so, so there's basically no more copper here. That is a true statement. However, Arizona is the third largest producer of copper in the world, just not in this, this one location. Okay. Mainly east of Phoenix, lots of mining and so on. Huh. Okay. So in the museum here, we said, wouldn't it be interesting to bring the story of copper back to the tiny town of Clarkdale, where the story begins in the first place. Right. We produced all this copper, we shipped it away, we don't know what happened to it. It just disappeared. People bought it, industries bought it, but there's a big difference between industry and people. People create art from copper. Right. Industry makes electric wires and plumbing tubes, not too much of an exciting story. So this museum, is called the Copper Art Museum, and we showcase the story of copper through art. Okay. Because out of all the museums you've ever been in, and all those objects you've ever looked at, number one metal used in all the history is copper. Wow. Now, I have always said, and, and I haven't ever said it on my podcast, but I'm going to make a statement now. I would not do an art museum because mm -hmm. art museums, you cannot describe art. You cannot mm -hmm. describe what you're looking at. And it would make for a very boring podcast. Yes, I but agree. <laughs> I was at this museum like four years ago, and I did not think it was an art museum until I just was reading what this thing was because your your displays are so fantastic, and you have such a variety of things that are made from copper but aren't necessarily what I would consider art in the same way that you would look at a guy on a horse riding out across the prairie and try to describe that in flowery enough language to be able to have somebody get excited about seeing a man on a horse riding across the prairie. Right. <laughs> so let's go take a look at some of our art. So Clarkdale's always been known for copper. Uh, it was also founded by a guy named Mr. William Clark, and he was America's copper king. So... 
America's right. Copper King. Yep. So that's why it's here. So in this museum, as we go through, we're gonna see about six different rooms where there's different types of objects in each room, exhibits. Okay. And we're gonna see several types of decorative art, applied art, and fine art as we go through. Mainly in utilitarian type objects. Think of kitchenware. Think of military art. Think of drinkware stuff. Now, like when that. he's saying military art, he's talking helmets, breastplates, sword scabbards. You if can, I remember right, yeah, you can you can go with that. They're usable, purposeful things, but right. sometimes decorated finely, so it ends up becoming sort of artsy. We we all get it. Okay? Uh, yes. Yes. So we're going to walk down um, in the museum. We have a simple method. We follow these copper footprints that are on the floor. Oh. And that way everybody gets copper sort of in a fashion. So first up, we just talk about what copper is, how it's found in the earth, how people like us found it. Okay. Copper was the first metal discovered. It's really easy to find because we can actually trip over a piece of copper laying on the surface of the earth and you just pick it up and you can tell it's a metal. Copper and gold can form in nuggets on the earth and okay. just be found naturally. And now here you've got a nugget that's probably 18 inches long, a foot yeah. wide, and it is. it looks basically like a rock other than it has some green to it. Yep, copper is always going to have a green or blue-green, blue tone to it. Um, laying on the surface of the earth and it can be found in metallic hunk or in ore, which is rock. But the green is a natural oxidization process, yes. right? That's the reason that the Statue of Liberty made out of copper is green. It's green, absolutely. Right. Yep. And here's a nugget here. You can see the, the green has been polished a little bit and you can see what's known as the red metal. Copper and gold are the only two metals that have color. All other metals, about a hundred of them, are all gray except for these two. And really? If you could see this element chart, you can tell that copper and gold are gray, are the metals of color. Those are gases, right? And so on. Most of the planet, right there, is metal. Yeah. It's sort of interesting. Okay. Now, now, when you find a piece of copper laying mm -hmm. on the surface. Can you pick that up and, sm and and put it in a fire and have it melt out, or is there a lot of extra ore and that uh, type of stuff in yeah, it? Yeah, it'll take a little bit more than just that, but you can find it, and you could put it in a fire, but it won't melt because it takes quite a bit of temperature to melt copper, quite a bit of heat. So you need about 2,400 degrees. So, is it that high? Yeah, so, well, 2,000. Okay. You know, fluidity is another Right. Thing. But campfires won't get that hot. However... You can find a natural occurring hunk of copper in the ground, and it might be very hard already. And if you want to soften it, you throw it in a fire and take it out later, and it will be soft enough now to where you can hammer it into a shape like a bowl okay. or utilitarian object. Just from a naturally occurring nugget on the earth, you can pick it up and do that. You're going to have to repeat the process a few times. It's a little right. more than, yeah, you get it. Okay, and yeah. that's the reason why early man used it for so many uh, war implements. Or, right. or uh, Copper was the first metal discovered, gold right along with it, but copper was utilitarian. Right, yeah. And you can make swords, you can make knives, you buttons for your clothes, you know, all that type of stuff that we needed in history. So, Whereas gold's a little bit too soft Gold's for that. too rare, it's too soft, and um, it's a noble metal, so everybody wanted it for those type of things. Okay. Yeah.
So bronze, you've heard of bronze. Oh, yeah. Oh, bronze is a man-made metal. It's it new. was also an age. Yeah, 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 it's <laughs> an age. Um, you take copper and mix it with tin, you end up with bronze. It's that simple. Okay, now I got Egyptians. a question. Where did the tin come from? Oh, the tin, uh, the tin usually comes from, there are sources of tin throughout the world. But England was a big provider of tin in history. But there was also tin found throughout the world, Southwest Asia, um, uh, amongst with copper as well. These metals can be found. And is, it, is tin a common metal also? No, tin's not common. Is it, is it smelted or is it raw? No, it's smelted. Okay. Now you're going to have to find tin in ore, which is that rock, and right. you have to get the tin out of the rock. Okay. That takes a campfire. Is, is okay. it just only a campfire? Yes, you can do that with a campfire. Really? But, but copper and iron you cannot melt with a campfire. It's just not enough heat. Okay, so you got to get... Yeah, certain metals will melt. Okay, so when was the, when was the Bronze Age? Oh, about 4,000, 5,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago. Give it a range. Because each culture was different, each time frame, each part of the world was different. So, yes, you can Google it and it'll tell you an exact time frame. But right. you know what? Give a, give a thousand years on each side of that. Right. Common practice is different than inventing. Right. Okay, so, so they had copper and then they mixed the tin in and they created a harder metal. Yes, bronze. Which is bronze. Mm -hmm. And they were still able to, did they have to cast bronze or were they able to mm -hmm. pound it and, and mold it? Yeah, uh, yes, you have to cast bronze uh, okay. into a shape. So you'd have a form. Right. And that form would be in the shape of a, a dagger. Right. Okay. And you could pour that dagger and you'd have a dagger instantly as that metal cooled off or you even quenched it with water. Right. With copper, you can't pour it. It's not a metal that pours. So it pours into a usable object, that is. Mm -hmm. okay? But you can hammer it into a sword or a dagger, if you wish. But you're going to be hammering for hours to make one. Bronze came along. Now you can make hundreds in a day. Right. Therefore, <coughs> you got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and That was the primary advantage of bronze. We could make hundreds of weapons, and then, of course, we could cast figures. Ancient Egyptians were the ones with these great big art figures, and you can watch one of those old movies and you'll see it. Right. Okay, so they had to learn, so, so they discover copper, they're able to, to mm -hmm. pound it and, and mold it, mm -hmm. but then they ended up having to design a whole different process for working bronze as far as casting yep. and, and building sand and vents and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And, it's just I'm I'm amazed by by the evolution of things mm -hmm. because it doesn't just come into being. I mean, it, yep. it takes people that are pretty brilliant to come up with some of this yep, stuff. Yeah, it does. And even though some of this may have had happened under happenstance, just happened out of nowhere, it takes a lot of effort as you get into these newer metals. It's not so easy. You know, as you're mixing them and playing with them, today it's down to molecular stuff. But in history, like cooking in the kitchen, noodles and, you know, whatever, butter, right. and you end up with a meal. But, yeah. Wow. So these are our first metals discovered up here in this case. Uh, copper and gold are the first two metals discovered. Um, and then silver, tin, lead, iron, and mercury came at a later date, of course. Copper and gold are prehistoric so far back, no records, but as you get more modern times and even um, in the history 
you will find out that these have actual dates as far as these other uh, later metals. So okay. today when we discover a new metal, it gets an actual year on it okay. ra rather than a date range. So okay. So another, and you've got a case here with, with some lead ingots and some lead uh, figurines and some silver ingots and, and coinage because a lot of coinage was made with silver. You've got some uh, copper bullion and, and some other copper items, some tubing. And then we come on down here to iron and mercury, and, and it's a nice display. And you've got your, your uh, element charts and, mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff in this area. Yep. And then uh, the other alloy that's predominant would be brass. Everybody's might have been in the service, might have polished brass. Brass is a combination of copper and zinc. zinc okay. Zinc is only about 1,000 years old, very new, so therefore brass is quite new and so on. Brass is a common hardware metal today. Right. Yeah. And so and so it's made with copper and zinc. Mm-hmm. Okay. But a common alloy. Right. T today's alloys are really unusual. They have many metals mixed in for certain purposes and, and uh, they get quite complex. But bronze and brass are your main two alloys and are easy to understand. Yeah. Okay. We're going to go into this first room. We call our first room the information about copper room. In okay. here, we talk about where you can find copper in the world. So we have a globe up here, and it shows locations of major ore deposits in the world. So, for instance, North America has lots of copper. Therefore, there's lots of little right. marks on the map of North America. And so does South America as well. But if you go to a continent like Africa, there might not be as much copper in Africa as like North America. Okay. Well, get it. Up next, copper was a metal. If you remember back in high school, you're probably one of the few metals you can actually remember that had the letters that denoted the metal. Like C-U oh, denotes okay. the metal copper. Okay. F-E denotes iron, and you all get it. And pretty soon you forget them instantly. I was going to say, don't ask me what any of them are yeah. because I don't remember any of that. So CU is derivated from the island of Cyprus. Island of Cyprus is called the island of copper in history. Large copper deposit on the island, hence you get it. Okay. Yeah. So if you dive in, cuprum is derived from Cyprus. Okay. Copper in English. Right. And then also up next, we have a map of the United States. And on there, you can see all the copper deposits in the United States. And if you flip through the state book, you can do so by state. And you can say, hey, does Missouri have any copper? And, and they there's do. a small amount. Or Minnesota or Maine. How come Montana's not on there? Oh, well, we got to go to the MOs for that. So it's Oh, there we go. I was going to say, and we did it. We just did a podcast in Ely, Nevada, yeah. and, mm -hmm. we, and we talked about the mine that's still operating mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. In Wyoming? In yep. Wyoming. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah there's copper in Wyoming. So flip, I was going to tell you where, but now flip, I can't remember. Flip through the binder, and you can see, and then each state. But we're not going to go down to the, the tiny deposits. Right. Yeah, it be, yeah. has to be some sort of commercial thing. Up next are these two symbols that you see. They're called glyphs. That is immediately recognized as the symbol for female and the symbol for male. Right. But the untold story is, what else do they represent? And of course, we'll call it the female symbol. It's called the Ankh. That 
was given to copper about 5,000 years ago by the ancient Egyptians. Really? So this stands for copper, this female symbol, but it also stands for the mythical goddess of Venus. That's her hand mirror okay. in mythology or astrology. And then, of course, the planet Venus is represented by that symbol. And the new things today, women, about 700 years ago, was, the symbol was given to women as well. Medal of Beauty, Goddess of Beauty, right? Planet of Beauty, and there you go, the feminine medal. Do you and, want to explain the male one too? Yeah, yeah. The okay, male good. Just as I was getting, I was getting interested here. <laughs> so you got your sort of a circle with a spear on end or an arrow shooting off, and that is the symbol for male. But it originated as a symbol for iron. Okay. So all things iron. Planet Mars is also related to this iron symbol. And of course, Mr. Mars, you know, that guy in the mythology, of right. course. And that was his shield and spear. That's okay. symbolic of that and so forth. And, well, men as well received that symbol about 700 years ago. This denotes all female and male, no matter what it is, like plants and animals, you can denote the, the species or the female species right. or gender, I should say, by that symbol. That's why. Huh. And of course, that's why men are from Mars and women, women are from, from Venus. Venus. So we have to talk about that a little bit. So that's right. The, I, uh, I, I never had a clue as to why those symbols were used. Yeah, it's sort of interesting. So in history, if you went out and looked at a map and there was a copper mine on that map, they would use the, the symbol, the unk. Okay. Denoting that copper mine. And did they use a male yep. symbol for they the used, iron Yep, mines. for the iron. Wow. Yep. Okay. And this painting is the Botticelli. It's the birth of Venus. And a lot of people want to know why it's here in this small museum. This painting is all about copper and not so much just the beautiful lady on the clamshell. Right. So what's going on in that painting, which is in so many art books in the world? Well, she's actually and mythically being blown to shore. The shore is the island of copper in history. Today it's known as Cyprus. Okay. So that's what it's about. There's a whole story there. Arizona is the copper state. So there's lots of copper in Arizona. That's sort of our nickname. You've heard it before, the right. copper state, the Grand Canyon state. And uh, well, we've always had the copper state as a nickname. And the Arizona flag, a lot of people recognize the Arizona flag because of the rays and the blue. The center star on the Arizona flag is a copper oh. star denoting the industry. Wow. Or the, the natural resource right. in the state. Okay. So Texas has a white star. Y'all get it? I don't know. It must mean purity or something. You get it. I don't know. <laughs> One of those, right? But uh, Copper State souvenirs, just like we have Grand Canyon State souvenirs, you know. And so. in the souvenir rack, he's got a lot of uh, copper spoons. He's got a copper license plate, several copper, are those bowls? Bowls, yes. Yeah, souvenirs. Some, yeah, and uh, a flashlight, a couple of candle holders, a super large penny. Yep. Just mm -hmm. lots of uh, little copper items. Tokens and yeah. souvenir type whatnots. And, so and then we've got a bunch of copper smithing tools over here, hammers, anvils, yep. and that kind of stuff. I guess that's for pounding out your yes. copper items. Yep. And another nice big rack with uh, copper weaponry. He's got some knives, daggers, nails. The yep. copper nails really kill trees. 
Uh, if you put enough of them in there, yes. Okay. I, I'd always heard that if you wanted to kill a tree, you shoved a copper nail in there, and I thought, where do you get a copper nail? But I see now. <laughs> what is this? This is a, a 12th to 14th century helmet. Helmet with a fate with a chainmail face chain mail. mask. Yeah, we wow. have a. Um, we, we're showcasing the Iron Age here in this small case. We have Iron Age. Copper Age, Bronze Age, and some other things in here. So it sort of showcases that time frame in human evolution. And what is this helmet up here? It's got a lion on the top. Yeah, that's a copper helmet in the shape of a lion's head. That would have been worn by a, a commander of like uh, of uh, of an army, okay, and not a battalion, but a commander of a corps or something would have wore a helmet like that. This one is made of copper and is not a um, is not a, um, a real helmet. Oh, it's, okay. It's just a facsimile of what the iron helmet would have looked like. Made in copper, okay. and then it was sold in museum gift stores, and for maybe it was sold to a museum director or to somebody else that had an interest okay. in that sort of stuff. Yeah. So the helmet is it's not a reproduction; it's a facsimile. Okay. Which and then you've got similar. a lot of uh, have, specimens of mm -hmm. a lot of different types of rocks and. Yep, these are different ores, and you'll notice predominantly things that are blue or green in color. Those are are ores that have a lot of the copper in the ore. Okay. And you can extract copper from any one of these stones. Really. You just have to do so through heat in old school technology. Today we do it with acids and other technologies. But in history, you and I, we would have heated up that rock hot enough and we would have melted the copper out. Really? Today it's electricity. And he's got some really pretty rocks here. He's got a crystal that uh, I, I can't pronounce, cathcanathite uh, crystal, copper flower. It's mm -hmm. a bright blue. Really, really pretty. And there's turquoise in here. Azure. And you can get uh, yeah. your copper from the turquoise. Yes. And from malachite. Yes, and um, chrysocolla and azurite. So all these blues and blue wow. greens are um, those type of minerals. So I didn't realize that copper was that prevalent in, in all these different stones. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, very interesting. It is. Very and copper forms in vein in the earth as well. So here's a piece of oh. copper vein. You can see it in there. And that's He's got a pretty highly polished rock with, you can see the copper veins just running through it. Yep. It's probably 14 inches long and, and 10, 12 inches wide. And it's just a small sliver, but the copper inlay, it's, it's inlaid. I it's mean, almost, it's cool. Yep. It's just, yeah. Yep. yeah. Wow. Wait. Here in a museum, we have an old comic book and uh, talks about copper. The oldest and the newest metal. And everything <coughs> that's in the museum, believe it or not, is in this co comic book. Wow. It's a big comic book, too. So we're going to move to the next first or the next room called the military art room. And this is this is one of the things I found absolutely most intriguing. I think Linda's <laughs> going to get her mind blown when she walks in here when we start talking about the trench art. Yeah. So this is a form of art called that was coined during World War One. 
It's called trench art. You might be watching American Pickers, and uh, the two guys find a piece of it in some garage, and they go crazy, and they tell you, oh, it's a piece of trench art from World War One." Well, here's 750 of them. It's just, it's just a phenomenal display. And the trench art, I don't even, I don't even know how to describe this stuff. They took the mortar shells. Yep, artillery shell casings and mortars. And what they did is when after those shells were expended, they would pick them up sometime afterwards. Right. And then they would decorate them with floral scenes or souvenir type scenes. Um, or things or like just that. date them. Or yeah. And, yeah, military unit emblems were on them and whatnot. And you'll have all this. Now, these were decorated and then sent home to loved ones as flower vases. That's why you see so many with flowers. And when he says decorated, imagine a, imagine a bullet casing. or Yes. But these are super large. They're, they're 16 inches long. They're mortar shells. Yep. And these guys sat in the trenches and they cut intricate designs out of the tops and then they pounded from the inside or from the outside, from the outside. to make flowers to make uh, animals to make i mean and they're decorated and in in thousands of ways and, it's just uh, it's just unimaginable I, there's one up here with a cupid shooting a bow that uh, has been pounded out there's flowers there's a horse Yep. Uh, so many different styles. Names, now, names of campaigns, names of cities and geographical regions where somebody might have been stationed at. Or even just their names with a etching like a, like a, a wood carving or, or wood burning that's been done. And, and they did all this with just their pocket knives, with yep. hammers. Ba- with- basic tools. So they took a brass shell casing that was smooth after okay. discharge. And they would fill it full of lead. And now what you've done is you created something you can pound against. Okay. And then they picked up almost primitive tools such as a hammer and a punch or a chisel. And they would first draw patterns with some sort of pen or ink or pencil on the shell casing and then follow that similar to like what you do dot art with a hammer and a punch. And you would hammer around a flower and okay. you get this relief work on each one that you see here and that's what's going on and a lot of it looks like like scroll work punch work on leather yes very but, but it's done in brass yep. okay now i've got a question mm-hmm. because i picked up a piece that's, that's similar to some of these you've got this one here that uh, several of these that uh that have been narrowed with deep mm-hmm. grooves on the inside yep. was that done in the trench also yes that we called that fluting and they fluted the um the shell case and then there'll be all different sizes now we if you look closely at this fluted area you can see the chisel marks of where they chisel okay i can see that sort of the hammering in there and so on now some guys were quite talented they could hammer that smoothly and you would not see the hammer marks but they did well, the guy that's untalented is still yeah, yeah. way talented. <laughs> so you do that kind of work on a smooth shell casing by drawing equal distant vertical lines. Okay. And then picking up a chisel and a hammer and you start tapping away a little bit on each line. Next line, next line, rotating, rotating, rotating. And maybe after six rotations, you have 
that fluting right there. And how did they get it so deep with the lead being inside? Did they have oh, to melt they, the lead out? Yeah, they didn't have lead in it for the fluting. They only had lead in for this punch okay. work that you see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then after the punch work was done, they would heat the shell casing up and dump the lead out. Lead melts at very low temperature. Right. 400 degrees or so. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I never understood how they got the intricate designs that they mm -hmm. did, but this this stuff is just as detailed as any leather work you could ever see, all except it's done on a round mortar shell casing, mm -hmm. and just beautiful. And done in the field. Done in the field. Guys were uh, recuperating, guys were sent to the rear uh, for uh, rest and relaxation, guys were convalescing in hospital, recovering from trench foot, they were hammering these out keeping them busy, and also creating something for loved ones back home. Wow, look at these ones with the cranes on them. They're just, there's so many and, and so much design. I, when I was here before, this was my favorite room. Yep. I was just totally infatuated. With, <laughs> it's a favorite with, amongst many. Oh. Yeah. And what the untold story in here, the back, back room story is, where did the metal come from in the first place to create all these trench art pieces? And believe it <laughs> or not. It's brass. Yeah. It's these copper are brass. and... Copper and zinc. Zinc. There we go. And the copper, believe it or not, originated in the little tiny town of Clarkdale and other small communities right. throughout the U.S. But Clark Clarkdale was a predominant producer. And we directly shipped copper from this town to France and Great Britain so they could turn that copper into brass, thus shell casings at a later date. And here it is, back in Clarkdale. Wow. So you got 360 around the world around, and back home where it belongs. Yeah. This but is this just, time we're showcasing what happened to it along the way. Well, on this end. Yes. I mean, once it was projectiled, we don't see that end. No. <laughs> yeah, you have to go to... Uh, uh, a military museum to see <laughs> more of go. that story. So, yeah. Wow. This is just so cool. Wow, that one there's like three and a half feet tall. Yep, they can get big. Here's a real big one. Yes, that one there's another. This has a name on it. I want you to look at that Bertha. Name. And you've probably heard of Bertha. Big Bertha. Big Bertha. There we go, Big Bertha. <laughs> um, this was shot from Big Bertha. And here it is now, decorated. Wow fluted, hammered from the inside and out, believe it or not, and this bugger stands right Three at my Three and a hip. half, four foot tall. Yeah, right at my hip here. And wow. that's about 10 inch diameter. And it looks um, like a weapon. Venetian vase. Yep. I mean, you know, narrow, at the, well, it has a wide base and then yep. comes narrow they and fluted, and it, fluted it on up. Yeah, in, impressive. That is just unbelievable. Yeah. And this bugger was shot from that ship. <laughs> wow. Right there. And that is an old battleship from World War I time frame. Uh -huh. well, actually, a little bit before that, but you understand. Well, how come they didn't continue this on into World War II and the Korean War and the Vietnam War? Mm -hmm. You only see World War I. Well, I guess they didn't have trenches the same it's, way, but, yeah. but they were still using mortar shells. The World War I was a um, battle of uh, time. They would have these huge battles, and then all of a sudden it was over with, and they would not move an inch for the next three months. Then they'd have a huge battle again. It was a supply problem. Okay. And uh, you'd have to get resupplied enough to shoot off these hundreds of millions of these things they shot 
at each other. So the trains were slow back then. The, there were a okay. lot of lot of horseback pulled wagons back then. World War One, nineteen sixteen, eighteen, right ish time frame. So there was time. World War Two, much speedier. There wasn't okay. as much time to be hammering stuff out. That makes sense. Okay. We're going to go into the next room called the art room, but we showcase architecture as well. Oh yeah. And we'll make a quick stop. Um, in the museum, we have a religious art room, and in here you will see things that you might also notice in a church, such as a Catholic church or right. other faiths and whatnot. Well, now you've so got you copper have, plates up here that have hieroglyphs um, on them. Yeah, right? yeah. So we'll have um, different artifacts through here, and the icons to alms platters to holy water holders to... This crucifixes, crucifixes and to the, candle holders. Yep, the copper scroll. We have a, a quick little video about the copper scroll, and uh, it's and a, some pretty good sized uh, mm -hmm. depictions of the crucifixion yep. and, and the Last Supper yep. and some of that kind of stuff. All in copper. And yeah. then, and then we move on over a little ways further, and there are some really nice big candle holders. Yep. Uh, just beautiful stuff. That would be like uh, candlesticks that were used for high mass. In right. The you know, the bigger ones. Or the smaller ones are just used for general purposes. And then you put a nice stained glass window in here just to accentuate yeah. it. Yes. That's, that's so cool. Yes. So that's the religious art. Oh, and we didn't talk about the ceiling. Yeah, the tin-type ceiling tiles. Yep, but these are made out of copper. And in history, those old saloon ceilings or... Uh, mercantile stores that used to have tin ceilings. Well, they also made them in copper, but they were very rare made in copper as copper is quite expensive. Right. Yeah. And I bet it would be really hard to keep from turning green. Yeah, we had to clear coat them. Oh, just, is just that what you project. did? You cheated? We cheated. So this is our architectural room, and here you're going to see embellishment to buildings. Think of an old city like San Francisco. It's been around, and you're walking down the street, and you see this beautiful green facade. Right. Well, believe it or not, that facade is going to be copper. And here are some of those artifacts. And you got your little cherubs and yep. and your gargoyles and, yep. and that kind of roof, stuff that are all... lines, yeah, that crestings, all... dormers, things like that. Even pediments. Uh huh. Made of copper in history. Today we don't decorate buildings anymore like that. That's a, we don't a have craftsmen. Yeah, that's probably one of them. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, the, everybody builds, and and we have carpenters, but the craftsmen that did the scroll work with the hammers and the chisels and all that kind of stuff are kind of gone. And this is pricey stuff too. You know, oh, I'll bet time consuming, and you know, today's houses are expensive enough without. Any more time consuming. Then you have lots of platters, vases. Yeah, this is our uh, art, a little bit of art in, in our architectural room. We showcase uh, oh, different things made out of copper. Yes, from platters to bowls. Urns. You've got some pretty neat lamps down lamps. here. Yep. Uh, and what kind of lamps are those? Okay, Actually, the, now this are, is really interesting because you've got a lamp with a pair of tweezers, yep. a pair of scissors, a bell. Yep. And a hook. What were those used for? Okay, these lamps were called lucernal lamps, and you would have 
oil in that sort of vessel at the top, and a wick would come out each one of those ports. Okay. And a wick. Would and there's need three to be, ports around. Yeah, and a on wick would them. need to be trimmed every once in a while and maintained, and that's why. Those oh, okay. Are. So you could pull the wick out a little bit more and trim it yep. down, and then snuff it out with a little bell. Yep. With a okay. little snuffer thing. Okay, I got it figured out now. And there's plaques. It on takes the wall a while. And um, <laughs> renditions, uh, different items, whimsical artwork as well. Pictures and glasses. You got a telephone, an old telephone, yeah, and a an couple old. sets of bellows. That wow. telephone is well, 1940s, but it still works today. If you, plugged just, it, if you plug it into if you the wall, that is. Well, can you find those anymore? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. So in this other portion of the art and architecture room, we all once again feature more artsy type work that was would have been highly decorative on artifacts. Now, when he says hard, highly decorative, you guys can think of a, of a copper vase or a copper plate or a copper whatever, but you don't comprehend the amount of artwork that has been pounded into this, that has been sculpted into it from uh, pictures of vineyards to pictures of figures to scroll work, inlays, uh, just phenomenal amount of, of craftsmanship to make the ordinary not so ordinary anymore and very specialized and very uh, personalized. And, you know, most, you'll go into many museums in the world and you'll see, or in the United States, and you'll see George Washington or Abraham Lincoln in, on a, on, in paint, right. on canvas. Well, here's George Washington in copper. Pounded into copper. That's right. And a picture of some Ro another copper picture with uh, mm -hmm. Roman soldiers riding a chariot uh, mm -hmm. with their horses in front. Harley Davidson's. In copper. <laughs> in copper. All <laughs> pounded out and molded. And it's just every place you turn around and look. What are, what are these boxes right now, here? These are old boxes from uh, Holland or from the 16th, 17th, 1800s. And that's how you actually stored your tobacco in history. Okay, in I was going to say cigar And of course boxes. you would roll your own cigar right. or whatever you had uh, and your tobacco was stored in that. And that's almost a watertight seal. Really? It's very tight. And in history it made a copper because this is what we had available. Lots of copper. Okay, and we're looking at and boxes that are, that are kind of oval-shaped or, or oblong-shaped that are probably 10 inches long, uh, inch and a half thick. They've got a lid on them, and all of the lids are very ornate with... Uh, uh, Every type of artwork, artwork you can think Yeah, of. But, but it'd look like the stuff that you get when you buy those little vibrating etchers for yes. signing your name on yeah. stuff. And this some type of, that. of work would commonly be called like scrimshaw. Scrimshaw, yeah. And you would see it in whale's uh, teeth and bone and whatnot. Yeah. But here it is, using all, and you can inscribe onto the brass and the copper, and then come up with decoration. And all handwork. Yep. And just and all and all is a scratching tool. right. Yep, and so on. Uh, other things, gargoyles. Oh yeah. Uh, you'll see those as downspouts um, on. Oh, well, you might think of an old medieval um, church in Europe or a Gothic church. They always had stone gargoyles. Right. And of course, stone gargoyles weigh hundreds of pounds. So to make it more efficient, you make your gargoyle out of copper. Now you have five pounds. Right. Now you don't need the superstructure. 
And you, get to, and you get to watch the change from yes. copper to green. Yeah, yeah. It'll, yep, exactly. <laughs> wow. This is the dormer. Dormers oh. are high on a roof, on a house or a building. With a window in the middle. Yep. Sometimes roofs are made out of copper, guttering right. and whatnot. Well, here's a dormer. And this came off the Carnegie Mansion in New York City. Oh, really? Mr. Carnegie had all copper roofs on his property and so forth. Here's one of the dormers from that house. I think a lot of roofs were copper back in the day, weren't yeah, they? A lot yeah. of the churches had copper yes. around the, the high uh, circular castle, yeah. whatever. I don't know what they yeah, the call dome. those things, but they're domes. And, yeah, even courthouses, a lot of times you go through a, right. a capital town or whatever, a county, and you'll see a copper dome. Yeah. That, now you don't have to replace copper like you have to replace shingles. And if you don't want to get up there very often, mm -hmm. build it out of copper. A copper roof will last a hundred years, really years or more. And they're, they're starting to come back. I've noticed that copper's really becoming kind of popular. We've got a restaurant in our hometown that they did all of their tabletops with copper mm -hmm. and their uh, counter in copper mm -hmm. and some of that kind of stuff. But I've noticed that there's a lot of houses that are now using copper. You know, high end houses or businesses that are using copper for for roofing and stuff again. Yeah, copper has a beautiful color. Uh, that folks like it in their kitchens. Um, oh yeah, I've seen so a lot forth. of it there too. And then it's an antibacterial metal as well. Oh, so is it? Today, people like copper because you know COVID and whatnot. Copper kills bacteria, like COVID. It take about two hours um, after it, it's been uh, touched with right. somebody that's been infected or whatever. But all bacteria will die on a copper surface in about two hours' time. Really? So you can't. Transmit is fast. But you don't want to coat your copper with any... Uh, no, you don't want to coat it. It has to be the yeah. raw so copper. To get green like so older <laughs> doorknobs, like the ones you see in this high school that are made out of brass, are pretty much germ-free until oh. somebody touches one of them. Yeah. And then a two-hour cycle. And that, so, so the copper even carries over into the brass? Into brass and bronze. And bronze. Yeah. Wow. So antibacterial. I did not real Well... I knew that, that uh, copper, a lot of people use it in bracelets and stuff for uh, arthritis and Health. other purposes that way, but I did not realize the antimicrobial oh. uh, benefits. So we have some plaques in this area, and of course we have, the, we have a copy of the Statue of Liberty. Right. And, uh, She's we, only about eight foot tall. Yeah. So we, um, you know, we got a lot of folks through from New Jersey and New York and that had no idea that the Statue of Liberty was made out of copper. So Really? We got we gotta let them know in Arizona. Wow. <laughs> well, they just redid a whole lot of the Statue of Liberty and they had to oxidize it, didn't it? They in order to turn it back to green because otherwise the copper would have showed. Right. Uh, yeah, you and nobody was expecting a bright colored portions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. I remember reading about that. You might see a brand new copper roof that way, and then uh, they'll treat it with, a, with an acid, and it turn, makes it turn green rather quick. Okay. Yeah. That green is an oxide mentioned earlier. Right. And it forms naturally on copper. Some electrical switches and items. This is a local guy who had a lovely electrical collection, as he was a former electrical engineer. And, you know, sometimes guys collect... Just about everything. And he's got old fuses and, and outlets and light bulbs, all kinds of things. That, and sockets. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is a nice big display. It's what, probably 12 feet long and yep. 8 foot tall, full of 
Well, you've even got an old electric toaster and iron from. And so in the museum, we have about 6,500 objects on display. The wow. museum is about 10,000 square foot in size. And um, we're now entering the next room, which is the kitchen room. And you've probably figured it out, cookware and kitchenware, but not common cookware, but highly decorative cookware that you might see in a castle or a palace, but also a few pieces that are quite you know, a little more common that you'll see. Well, you've got a couple plain Jane yep. pots over here that are only about two and a half feet in diameter and about three foot tall. I mean, there's nothing extraordinary about that. <laughs> that is very true. That's what, a 50-gallon <laughs> uh, copper pan? That is uh, almost 50 gallons. Um, if you were to fill that up with water, it would weigh about 480 pounds or something like that. Well, it's a good thing they got handles on yeah. the side. And uh, it was really, <laughs> and those huge pots were used for um, clam bakes and lobster boils, things like that. Okay. In history, today we're still making large pans, but they're out of stainless steel. Right. Stainless steel is much more reasonable. Copper's quite expensive. Question: Does copper? keeps the bacteria away. If they cooked in copper pans, would that help with that as well? It would on the exterior of the pan, oh, but not the interior. Not the interior. Copper is almost always tin-lined on oh, the inside. Okay. And why did they do that? Well, copper is a reactionary metal, so it will react with your food. Say, for instance, you cook pasta. Um, you will you want to cook your pasta in a tin-lined pan where you don't have this copper reaction. If the pasta was to sit in a copper pan for several days, it might get a flavoring that tastes a little bit like copper. Okay. Whereas tin on the inside of a copper pan will circumvent that, so you won't get any flavoring from tin. Okay. So, but and well, now they used to. I know that like some acids and stuff would leach the metal like, and give you problems. I don't know if that was pewter or um, lead or, I mean, they made plates with several different types mm -hmm. of metals, and I know people would end up ingesting right. that heavy metal mm -hmm. because of the acids in the food. Tin doesn't do that? Tin does not. Tin is an inert metal. Okay. okay and then there's reactive metals, and there's poisonous metals, and there's toxic metals. And... If you leave something in an unlined copper pan long enough, you'll get that flavoring. Okay. Even though the human body needs copper, it doesn't need too much copper, and that's what would happen. You get okay. a toxicity. Sort of like drinking alcohol, you get an alcohol toxicity. It won't kill you unless you drink way too much, but right. you get it. And then there's lead and mercury. Those are poisonous metals. Right. Those, yeah, and so forth. Copper is used in life processes. goes in your body, ingesting from foods primarily, goes in the body, it's used in life processes and washes out normally. Okay. Just like vitamin C and iron and zinc. And then lead will go into the human body and get stuck in there. And right. It can't get out, therefore it causes a poisonous reaction. And of course you have to see a doctor, but you get it. Right. Different right. types of metals. Okay. Yeah. So in here, yeah, you mentioned the size. These big, huge monster pots and pans, those were used in restaurants and taverns. And in history, we had hospitals in history. Right. We had taverns in history. And they would use these big pans because you'd cook an entire day's worth of food and then serve from the pan throughout the entire day. 
And, and this whole wall is very large pans. We've got roaster pans that probably hold across, 10 two. gallons, yep. uh, maybe even 15 gallons, mm -hmm. lots of uh, just big pans, uh, big carrying type pans. Uh, and you've got some like coffee. Yep, for a fireplace, those would hang right. in the fireplace. Coffee pans and, and tea, tea kettles that are probably five gallon tea kettles. Yep, those are bath kettles for heating up your hot water for and then for a bathtub. Okay. That's why they're so large. Okay, I just figured maybe it was for a hospital and giving everybody tea in England <laughs> just before you fed them their crumpets. <laughs> <laughs> so in the kitchen room, we also have lots of food molds um, for aspects and custards and breads, puddings, even we can even call them jellos today if we want. You've got one that's shaped like a fish. You've got one shaped like a pig. Lots of them that are just ornamental eggs yep. in, in Ge a nest. Geometrics and figurals and uh, other types of uh, food molds. A lot of bunt cake molds. That's right, okay. And then we've got some... Miniatures and child's toys type things, always out of copper as well. Wow. In history and... One of the primary reasons you see so much copper in cookware in history is you cooked on copper until about the year 1860, and then a newfangled thing called cast iron came out. Enter Mr. Griswold. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Now, today we've changed again. It went through aluminum, and now we're up to stainless steel. Or maybe we're even into plastics today. I don't know. It seems like, like copper's kind of become the anti-stick... Uh, pan craze in the last couple of years. I don't know if that's real that's, copper. That's, that's uh, usually it's not real copper, but it's copper look. Copper look, yeah. People like the color, but uh, and they put a really nice Teflon type of is that what it is or ceramic surface today and so on. So once again, copper fry pans to cookware to oh you name it, baking bakeware. Okay, what is this? I'm looking at a I'm looking at a item that has a lid on it. Uh, on one end, kind of like a filler bottle or a pop bottle lid. It is about 14 inches long, five inches wide, an inch and a half high, and then it's got a whole series of little square blocks that almost look like it could be for ice cubes or yes. something, but it doesn't look like it's an ice cube yep. holder. So What, what we, is it? So You're right. It is an ice cube holder. Is it really? This is to make ice cubes. But we got to think back a little bit, and Clarkdale's a perfect town. This town had an ice plant, and the ice oh. plant would make blocks of ice. Right. They were delivered by the ice man, and it went to everybody's house. And, of course, if you wanted to make ice cubes out of that ice block that was delivered to your house, you needed this device. Okay, I'm beginning to get an idea. So... You, you kerosene in the end. Nope. You want to fill this full of hot water. Hot water. Okay. And then you take this device, setting it upside down so the cubes are facing down mm -hmm. onto your block of ice, and you come back in five minutes. The this this uh, tray has sunk into the block of ice, cutting out the squares or the cubes. Right. And then all you have to do is break is break off. the cubes out. Oh. And the next step is the margarita glass. Wow. Okay, now this is way cool. And, and because and it's copper hard. is so heat conductive, yep. then it allowed the heat to be able to come into the little fins that are all shaped like squares. Yep. yep. 
that's so, okay. And this, I wonder how many times, if you had to replace the water every set, or if, or if it would work two or three sets. Well, you might get two out of it. Yeah. And you get, what, uh, 12 or 15 ice cubes each set? It looks like it. Yeah. Sounds like a good job for this, somebody. This is our, yes. <laughs> All day our, long. This is our what's it. What's it? Does it go upside down or right side up? Now you can put it either way, but if you were to make ice cubes, it would Right, go. it would go that way. Yeah. So it's a neat piece. Kitchen stove, copper embellishments. Oh. This is a beautiful stove. This stove is probably eight foot long and has all the copper handles for turning the gas on, turning the gas off. Very decorative. And then it's enamel on the face, right? Right. And then, your, of course, your cook surface is, is stainless with, uh, with regular gas type. Uh, I wouldn't mind having that. Oh, I wouldn't mind having that either. That's beautiful. That's made in France, that stove. And, uh, it's a modern. Uh, yep, it's a modern stove. Right. It's made to look old. Yep. Morico. Maurice. Maurice. Maurice is no longer in business, but you've heard of, or maybe you've heard of stoves uh, like La Cornu. Nope. La Cornu is another high-end French company that makes stoves. It's on par. Okay. And once again, even more copper food molds and copper plates and copper trays and copper salt holders and coppers ladles and spoons and you just name it. Everything was made of copper up until about 1800-ish, and then we changed. So copper and brass were predominant in kitchens throughout all of history. Wow. And beautiful pieces. Copper strainers. He, he, named, he named just about everything, but there, if, you, if you can think of it, it's here. And then we have the stainless steel set that everybody's seen with the copper bottoms on the bottom. Yep, that's very true. That, we had to have those. Those are a revere wear. And uh, everybody tells me that uh, they polished the bottoms of those pans when they were children, and mom gave them that chore. And uh, they have a copper bottom, and then, of course, a stainless steel side. I think I've still got one or two of those at, at my house. Yeah, they don't wear out. Uh, they're, yeah, they're forever. <laughs> and then you've got copper salt shakers, pepper shakers, coffee grinders. Cookie cutters. Cookie cutters. Wow. It just it just kind of keeps going on and on, and and that's all you utilitarian stuff. Yeah. Even a few years back, Martha Stewart made uh, oh, or copper her company made copper uh, cookie cutters. And okay, they were popular. Oh, I know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and they were popular probably one hundred and twenty years yep. ago. Yeah, they made them out of <laughs> copper years ago too. So the showcases you see in this museum were all hand done, and they're custom made for the museum. So if you were to visit this museum, you will, you will see custom cases that you won't find in any other museum. And we actually used iron window frames to make the showcases. These okay. iron window frames came out of the copper smelter here in Clarkdale, Arizona. Okay. And we recovered those windows. We fabricated them into display cases. So now you can look into these windows display cases, and you can see the copper that originally more than likely came from towns like Clarkdale, Arizona. Copper wow. towns. This is what happened to it. Well, this, the, this everything thing. is displayed so beautifully here in this museum. It's just, I, I think you could spend a full day just looking at the ornamentation on, on some of these copper, just in this room, on some of the copper mm -hmm. items and, and uh, 
It's just a fantastic museum. And on the table here, you see a, just a medley of copper items. Um, just recently, a guy donated 150 of these copper cooking items to the museum um, on January. And in the end of February, he's going to donate 44 dish barrel boxes of copper cookware really? to the museum. So 44 dish barrels, oh, probably about <laughs> half of this room. It's about a half a truckload. You're going to have to build another museum. We need, we need more space. <laughs> now, do you take donations if somebody has a really odd piece oh, yeah. or something like that? Yeah. We can take donations. Um, we can even work with an individual on um, pricing or um, shipping uh, to ship things in, you know. Yeah. We can accept all donations. We're a regular nonprofit organization like every museum you been in. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, is there a lot of other copper museums in the country? No, we're the only one. The only one. However, there are copper museums in the world, Italy, okay. Belgium, uh, Netherlands, and Germany. Okay. Yeah. Then we come on out here and we get into... We're back into the hallway and we're just going to do a walk and go here. We have some copper gong, copper... Uh, bells and uh, brass musical instruments. Bells, musical instruments. Holy smokes! What is that trumpet up there? It yep. had to take two guys to hold that. That thing That's, must be six foot long. That's a big one. Wow! Yeah. And we just talked about other co copper items. You see, here's paintings of of um, in museums. Okay. If you, if you ever walk into a museum now, you're going to look at a painting and probably curse the guy in Clarkdale. Me. Now you're going to be looking at a painting and say, "What? There's a copper There's a item. Copper. <laughs> There's a copper item in the painting." And and as you get it in history, everything. Yeah. It was everywhere. So when you go through the Metropolitan now, you're going to be looking for copper items rather than uh, whatever. <laughs> then you got a brass diving helmet from. The early 1900s, yeah. I'm thinking, is yeah. when they were using those, uh, yeah. when they were all in the unisuit with the air pump down and they had the big round uh, helmet on. Yeah. And then you've got a big brass propeller, propeller yeah. off of a, off of the Titanic? No, not, oh, not okay. quite. But that, one, that one was made of uh, bronze as well. Oh, was it? Just to let you know. Yeah, they're made of bronze today even. And those big, huge container ships, that propeller right. 30 feet across Wow. So some of the biggest ones are like 30 feet across and so on. So here we have a model of this old ship that's still in commission today. It's called Old Ironsides. Ironsides. Sitting out in Boston. Okay. And we're looking at it right now, this model, and, well, I don't see any iron on it. Do you? I see copper. I see copper. That's right. We should rename it Old Copper Sides. Sides. Yeah. However, no. The iron sides is because the cannonballs would bounce off. However, okay. if you want to keep the algae and the biofouling off the bottom of your boat, you put copper on the bottom of it. Remember? Copper right. is toxic metal. It keeps snails, worms, and other things off the bottom. Really? So all of these ships in history. The USS Santa, Constitution, the Santa Maria. Santa Maria. The, the Victory. Victory even battleships. Wow. And now it's up to paint. And even this ship had the copper on the bottom, but copper paint. And there it is right there. Okay. You might recognize that the one. The Titanic, yep. Yeah, right and that, had, that was all copper on the bottom, too. Copper paint on the bottom. And what's interesting about this Titanic or photo is Mr. Clark's nephew. 
Oh, really? He was on the Titanic, and of course he died on the Titanic. And he was up there in first class with the rest of those guys. Wow. Mr. Clark and his wife had return tickets on the Titanic, but they never got to use them for some reason. Huh. I wonder yeah. why that would be. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got a lot of copper and brass uh, nozzles from firefighting. Mm-hmm. And that's... And then and, and, oh, warmers and heaters. I was oh, going to yeah. say those look like popcorn poppers. They do, but they're but, bed uh, warmers. But they're bed warmers, yeah. exactly. You used to put hot coals in those yeah. and then put them in your bed at night and warm up your bed before you crawled in and uh, hope they maybe stayed warm. Before central heat. Right, exactly. <laughs> it, it was probably a little bit more dangerous than a brick, but... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you may have heard of samovars. That's sort of um, an artifact... That served hot water or coffee, tea. Okay. Sort of like an urn, hot water urn. And samovar would commonly be out of Russia or that region. Okay. Very ornamental again. Yeah. And these would have been in, in, in most homes. And if you probably watched that movie, Hunt for Red October. Right. Oh, you know, the lead uh, actor there. I can't well. I'm not good at those guys, but I'm not if you either. look back when he's in his the captain's quarters, you'll see a samovar sitting in the back. Okay. Got to have one on board the Red October, you know. Right. <clears throat> uh, we're into getting done here pretty close. We're into another room called the drinkware room. And in here, it's holding a liquid. Okay. So we use copper in history because it did not rust. And, of course, here it is. Once no. again, we didn't have any other metals to make things from. Aluminum? Okay, so some guy found aluminum back in the 1400s and discovered it, or whatever year they discovered. Doesn't mean they used it in 1401. Right. Okay, so it took hundreds of years for this to progress. Well, it's also a really brittle metal. Yep. So. Yeah. But copper was your primary metal in history. Wouldn't rust away. Okay, and we've got all kinds of water holding, water holding things wine, from, from probably a 25-gallon water wine yep. holding container. This, These all have lids on them. Yeah, a this lot is, of them have spouts. Yep. This is your water vessel, commonly called a cistern. Okay. And that would hold your water in your kitchen, and you would scoop from this vessel and then prepare dinner or whatnot. Okay. And they, yeah. So that's... That's a water tower, essentially. Okay. Yeah. And you've got several of those that are probably 25, 35-gallon yeah. containers. You've got a lot of these ones that have water spouts with... Mm-hmm. Uh, are these like for those holy are water? Sinks. Those are sinks? Yep. Okay. Sinks. So that had a little spout on it, and you could drop, wash your hands or, yep. or whatever. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's that's pretty. And these cool. date quite a way, uh, quite a ways back. There, we're looking at items that are from the 1600s, 15, 16, 17, 1800s in this room. Okay. Very early. Now I'm noticing a rim about halfway up. Does that mean that these were in two separate pieces and then they yes. were soldered together? Yes. And what they soldered them with lead? Um, it could have been, but we've known lead to be poisonous for a long time. It just keeps resurfacing for some reason. So they probably used tin. Okay, and they just heated up the tin. Yep. And they sweated it like you yep. do a plumbing pipe? Yes. yes. Okay, and what did they use for their torches? Oh, they would have had different devices back in the day. They would heat up a, a brick, a solid chunk of copper. Okay. And, and then they would use that as a... Uh, a, a, a heating device. Yeah, device, and they would solder with that. 
Okay. So you had this block of red hot copper, if you want to call it that. Right. And at like the old, like the old and, furnace yep, heated and then, and then solder heat iron. Up the, the joint, and you'd sweat a joint. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So yeah. beer steins, beer tankards, vessels that held liquids. The reason they're so big is because you wouldn't have to run down to the barrel in the basement to get a beer all the time. You would fill up a pitcher. Yeah, well, and these pitchers and are, they're, they're what, probably three or four gallon pitchers? Yep, and they're servers, and you would serve from that. Okay. So the, the server would get one and then be good for an hour. Okay. And, and the back, in the, back in the day, the beers and stuff, from what I understand, was what everybody drank because the waters weren't good enough That's to drink. Right. So you had to drink something that was a little bit fermented and, and processed. Uh, processed. Yeah. Here's some ale measures. And once oh. again, we're at a sort of a brewery distillery. They would use these, and you would come as uh -huh. a purchaser of beer, and you would tell them, I want three gallons. They take, and, and he's got a series of these pitchers up here that go from probably a pint all the way on up to, what, probably five gallons. And yeah, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's about 10 or 12 of them mm -hmm. up here that, uh, are in all the different increments. So you go in and buy a pint or right. a gallon or whatever you wanted. Yep. That is interesting. Yep. It's cool. And the beer steins, you know, here's some more highly decorated, higher, very intricate. Where would a beer stein like that be used? Well, in a tavern, or there might have been right. a beer stein of like a, a burgermeister or lead county official. Uh, you, you get it. Right. Yeah. yeah, and these look very much like the ceramic or the whatever beer steins that you see yeah. that are all ornamented and, and have designs on them. These things are the same way. There's Just pictures of, of people pouring pitchers and mm -hmm. uh, hanging out in gardens and lions walking and all kinds of things. Yeah. Grapes. Just, and, yeah. Wow. And more uh, liquid rooms. So we got lots of things that deal with liquids and beer and that. Wine chillers in history. Okay. A wine, a wine chiller would chill your bottle of wine or champagne, whatever you might have. These vessels are sort of oval so that you could put two bottles in there. Right. And then you'd have it filled with ice. Well, ice is common in the world. You store it in the summertime, just like we did here in the, in, in, the, in the United States. You can store it in a cool spot in the house, and it would last for a couple months anyway. And you'd, you'd break off some ice from a block. Right. Put it in there. People need to realize that they made ice in the winter when yeah. the rivers or the, the lakes froze over. They'd go on out. Uh, whole communities would go out and cut enough ice for the winter, they would put it inside of a uh, ice house that was usually uh, two two foot wide walls that had sawdust in them, mm -hmm. and it would keep the ice all year long. And your ice delivery man, I guess, would sit there with a hot a hot. Uh, uh, pan and make ice cubes for you so that <laughs> you could have your cold drink in the middle of summer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. And then we have some glassware in here. And what's You've got a vase in here that looks like a goose. Oh, yeah. It's designed. got a little lid on it, and, and the, the pitcher is in the shape of a goose with the wings all hammered out and a lot of different scroll work on it. It's kind of a cute little one. It took a lot of thought. Mm -hmm. Yes, it did. Yep. Now, we have some glass in this room, and the reason we have 
these different colored glass artifacts um, in this room is because in order to make the blue colored glass, you have to have copper. Oh, really? Copper is actually staining the glass blue. Okay. So if we add copper to glass, boom, you got it. If you add iron to glass, it turns glass green. green. However, if iron in nature turns rocks red. Think of the red rocks of Sedona. Right, right. Well, just opposite here. When you're mi you're mixing it with you're glass, it, it with turns, glass, turns green. Turns green. Uh, and then, of course, you, some folks all know that if you take gold and mix it with glass, it turns the glass red. Now, that's a... I'm not one of those folks, yeah. so I'm glad you just told me that. So that is definitely in history that we used gold to turn glass red. If you Google that today, you're going to like, no, that guy in the museum's crazy. But today we use selenium to turn glass red. Okay. So you got to go down and start researching further, and you'll find where it says in history... But it's not going to be on the first page of Google. Okay. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, glass, all glass, the colors originate from metals. Okay. And, and, I had no clue. And that's pretty a common thing in the world. And everything that's light blue in color on this planet, almost everything, even man-made, is those that color is coming from the metal copper. Even like fabric dyes yes. and some of the even, yep. wow. So if you've got a light blue colored shirt or tattoo or your phone cover there is sort right. of light blue, that's copper is making it blue. Yeah. And just, now what makes the green glass? Oh, this in this case that's uranium. You've probably heard okay. of uranium. Well, yeah. Yeah. And it turns glass sort of a yellow green color. Okay. And so on. Wow. And the dark blue, well, here's another one. You might have heard of that one too. You've heard of cobalt blue, the element. Right. There's cobalt blue, the glass. Okay. In order to get that dark blue. The dark blue. Metal cobalt. Okay. So wow. Fun story. I had no idea that the glasses were covered that or colored that way. And then you've got a bunch of molds. These in are here. chocolate forms. Chocolate forms. We're making. I like chocolate. We're making figural chocolate in like a copper in like a uh, chocolate shop. Right. Especially in Europe, where you have your old world Santa Claus, or you might have an old world uh, um, gingerbread house. You got a new world Santa Claus here riding a motorcycle. Yeah, he's pretty new, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> car and, and some of the old, yeah, some of the old Santa Clauses uh, with the pointed hats and yeah, they call them Saint Nick and the the knights yeah. riding the horses. Yeah, so just uh, chocolate is very high in copper content. It's a chocolate is high in copper. It's content. a natural food that you eat every day, and you're going to get plenty of copper when you eat. Now, chocolate. why why do you get they put it. They put it in as an additive, or nope. it's in the plant itself it's, when it it's grows. In, it's in the bean. It's in the bean. Yeah. So do they uh, fertilize with copper in the in the chocolate? Well, they would the, the cocoa or or the, the beans. Well, they don't have to, but uh, you will still get copper in the bean because copper occurs naturally in soil. Now, if you want to amend your soil, say right. it needs more nitrogen, well, it might need more copper, too. And okay. then you would add it as an additive. Okay. Yeah, copper sulfate you add to soil and okay. so forth. And it's used commonly in vineyards as for pesticide control as well. And copper is one of the essential minerals that you need for your body. Human body required. We're buying chocolate before we leave. <laughs> Naturally occurring. Yeah. And this is an old public high school building. Of course, we have some old letter sweaters and cheerleader outfits and whatnot in here. 
And your old, yearbook was called The Alchemist. Yep. Wow. Old diplomas. There's a copper diploma up there. Really? Yeah. I actually gave out copper diplomas in this town. Really? That's pretty cool. And we were privileged around here. Were you? <laughs> I guess they were. I, a lot, not not a too lot many of these, towns got copper. Well, a lot of these old mining towns, you know, the mines would really develop the towns with electricity and, and extra amenities and all that kind of stuff to keep their employees and keep the good employees. Yep. And that's exactly what Clarkdale is. We're an old uh, model town. Uh, we were completely built out by the United Verde Copper Company. And today, the remnants, we have 387 homes and buildings on the National Register in this tiny town. Really? Um, most towns in this nation will have about four homes on the National Register. Right. So you can see the quantitative quantit you know, value there. Yeah. So we have one last room, okay. and we saved it for last. We saved it for last. The distillery and winery room. Oh. We couldn't have done it without this room. <laughs> so wow. you have some old world stills in here and artifacts that were used in wineries and distilleries and breweries, jugs and tankards once again, and these big vessels that carried grapes and whatnot that were all used in those processes to make and, and good things. What, you could carry probably 55, 65 pounds of grapes in each one of those probably. grape carriers? Yeah. They don't have hand. Well, I guess the handles are down low. They got straps. So straps. It went okay. on your back like a backpack. Okay. And then you filled it with grapes, and of course, kind of threw them over your shoulder as you right. were. You or I them. would have hauled them to the grape squishing and dumped them into the squisher, and then somebody else would have squashed them. Okay. Or squeeze. That makes them sense. Whatever. Yeah. So they were put on like a backpack, but they were all made out of copper, and again, really ornamentally carved and designed, yep. and. And wow. these are um, actually fine art pieces. They would these here only sat around and looked pretty in the house. Oh, okay. Whereas you would um, an actual grape hod would have been made out of wicker or wood and used in the field. These were decorative. They would have sat next to paintings. Okay. And so forth. Okay, I want to talk about this. Yeah. I'm looking at a saddle stand with a pack saddle on it that has these two tanks. tanks that are probably four and a half feet long. They look almost missile-like as far as uh, taper up to the point and then back on down, uh, oblong round, and horses were designed to carry these. Is that for the moonshine coming out of the <laughs> woods, or is that just the way that they carried the wine after it was processed, or, or what is our purpose? Yeah, it's very interesting. I bet Carla's been asked this before many, many times what that is. It's another, what, what's it? Uh, yep, exactly as described. However, that was used in the field to fertilize the field, and you would carry a substance in those copper tanks called copper sulfate. And okay. you would use that in your field. Okay, now would that was and there a way spray. to disperse it? Yeah, oh, okay, so it had a, so it had a pressurized so, spray nozzle on the front. Yeah, the packs would have been on the back of a donkey or burrow or whatnot, right. and two guys would have been on each side, and it would have had wands, and the spray would have been coming out of the wands, and you would spray your vineyard. Okay, and they do it today. We just use tractors. Right. Okay. But yeah, I had no. I, I I didn't have any idea that that's what they were doing is is spraying with that. Yeah. And there's. I'm looking at this uh, 
panel of uh, soil amendment. You can see how they add right. copper sulfur sulfate to the soil, but also as a pesticide control as well. Okay. So it's Fungus, a natural pesticide. Fungicide too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Many plants have a tendency to develop fungus. Well, right. stop that. You spray it with copper sulfate, especially okay. grapes. Okay. Now, that's why when you turn a bottle of, of, of wine around, it'll say it contains sulfites. That's one, of the, that's one of the reasons. Okay. You use copper, copper sulfate in wine to purify it as well, to get rid of the bacteria and other things. Okay. And then you have this still. Yes. Holy smokes. The, we, I was talking about the big... Uh, Barrels, uh, copper barrels that, that would hold 50 gallons over there. This one's like 250 yeah. gallons. So this is a cognac still. It's made in France. Processed uh, white wine ended up becoming cognac. And, of course, stored in barrels and sold on the market and so forth. But this is out of France. About 1850 uh, is okay. your, your range on this. Made of copper, brass, and bronze. Once again, copper doesn't rust. Therefore, boom, you yep. use it. Copper heats up very well. Also, um, all of dis distilling requires heat and the transference of heat through to start the liquid to boil right. was part of the mash or whatever you're boiling. In and this days. one looks like it's riveted. Yep, we got some rivets going on. We got some. Did, did they solder in between the rivets? Do you no, know? Yeah, they did not solder in between those rivets. However, if you've ever seen one of those old lanterns, uh, the wick lanterns, right. they use that wick on the inside oh. of this joint to seal it, okay. and then they rivet it. And okay. they would uh, use like a bitumen or a sort of black tar substance on that wick okay. to seal it, and you're sealed. Okay, that makes sense. So, far. so a giant cognac still. You've got a couple of wood barrels up there that I'm sure held wine or held something. Good. something. Yeah. And then you've got some implements of harvesting and knives. Yep, uh, for, for the vineyard tools. Yeah, and then, and those are those are pretty destructive looking tools. Yeah, yeah, and his, you know, big blades with long handles like axes, or or I guess what you what you think of uh, uh, Renaissance type yep. tools that uh, were used for other purposes than vineyard harvesting. Yep. So in history, if you wanted to equip an army quickly. You found farmers because farmers had all the tools that had nice sharp blades okay. on them for farm work. So your farmers were hauled off into warfare, and they would bring their own tools with. Okay. These axes that you see here, these blades and things. These in the vineyard cut stumps or cut logs out of you know branches out of the way and things like that, making barrel staves. Right. You, you get it. Okay. You have to have sharp tools. Well, cool. You said this was our last room? Well, we have a gigantic beer kettle outside the front door there. I think we already saw that on our way in. That's a gigantic beer kettle. What? Yeah, well, I've got to give you some statistics because yeah, I, I know you're itching. The comprehension doesn't, doesn't get there without the statistics. So that bugger is 12 foot in diameter, 15 feet tall. It produced 7,000 six-packs of beer at a time. And that's, wow. just, that's uh, of course, just enough for my girlfriend and I. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> for the rest of your life. And She's the heavy drinker, oh. too, not me. Okay, okay. 
Okay. Yeah, that thing's huge. Yeah, that weighs about 5,400 pounds of copper. We can also leave it outside. Nobody's going to roll it off. So, really? Yeah. You don't chain it down? No. it's Nobody's rolling that bugger off. Okay. That's a little too big. <laughs> okay. Well, you guys have a website. Yes. CopperArtMuseum.com. CopperArtMuseum.com. You guys yeah. have Facebook page and sure. Instagram and all that stuff yeah. too? Yeah. Same thing, Copper Art yeah. Museum? Yeah, just type in Copper Art Museum and anywhere in a web search, whatever, you come to the museum here and get us. And our phone numbers and all that listing stuff is online. Yeah. And your price to get in? Yeah, we're uh, about eight seventy five, nine seventy five, depending on seniors and adults and whatnot. Very low for children. We realize that there's lots of mothers out there with two or three kids, so children's rate is very low, dollar twenty five to three fifty, dependent. Okay. That way, moms and dads can bring their family rather than like, oh my gosh, it's right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And there is so much to see here, so much history yeah. here. This is just unbelievable. Yeah. And I'm just as impressed my second time through yeah. as I was my first. Yeah. And you can take all the photos you wish, and you can even touch the artifacts. We, le we know that people learn by touching. Right. And you're not going to hurt a piece of copper by touching it. We just that ask so that you cool. don't drop it. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, you can actually feel. Right. And get that. And, and the, the. Learning. Yeah. yeah. That is so cool. Well, I so appreciate your time, Drake, yeah, uh, spending thanks, it with me here and, and talking to us about your museum. I finish out my podcast by saying the world is full of wonder, and sometimes it's fun to see it from somebody else's perspective. Everybody needs to get out, see things, enjoy it, and have an absolutely wonder-filled day. All the road and go, where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?